0: Every year, the Grassfed Exchange Conference empowers ranchers, farmers, communities, and governments to explore the ways that regenerative grasslands agriculture can create thriving communities. This year, the conference will be held in Santa Rosa, California from April 3rd to April 5th and will feature tours of the most innovative beef and dairy operations in the area, speakers such as Charles Massey, Nikki Silvestri, Zach Bush, Ariel Greenwood, and Glenn Elzinga, and countless opportunities to explore the most pressing and exciting ideas in regenerative grasslands agriculture. While the conference itself is still a few months away, there are only a few days left to take advantage of the GrassFed Exchange's early bird special. That's $50 off your conference registration fee. Head on over to grassfedexchange.com and register before midnight this Friday, February 1st, in order to claim your discount. We'll see you at the conference in April. <laughs>
1: You're listening to the Regeneration Rising podcast.
0: We bring young agrarians and their mentors together in conversation around the challenges and the joys of life and agriculture. The average age of the American farmer is 58
1: years old and rising.
0: In order to rejuvenate our fields and rangelands with a new generation of farmers, ranchers, and land stewards, we need to talk about mentorship. Mentorship we need to talk about effective land transition. We need to explore what it means to apply regenerative values, not only with the land, but also with the people who tend it. Together, we can build thriving ecosystems and an abundant future. My name is Ariel Bobbitt, and my name is Shauna Burhans, and we'll be facilitating these conversations. We are Regeneration Rising.
2: We are Regeneration Rising. We are Regeneration Rising. We are Regeneration Rising. We are Regeneration Rising.
3: Hi, my name is Brianna Owens, and I'm with Cobblestone Ranch uh, in Northern California raising sheep and cattle and also with Point Blue Conservation Science as the coordinator for our Rangeland Watershed Initiative. And I'm talking with Wendell Gilgert, my mentor and the program lead for the Rangeland Watershed Initiative at Point Blue. And Wendell also had a over 35 year career with NRCS. I'm going to start off asking you a question, uh, which is your favorite question to ask people. And that is what drives your passion? What excites you about being involved in the work that we do? What gets you out of bed every morning? Uh,
2: just sort of a fundamental belief, maybe as a product of the, being a a child of the sixties that, uh, I can make the world a better place. I can work with people to make it better than it was when I got here um, although at this point in time that's a little hard to believe because things have evolved rapidly and nonetheless, uh, with all the events backdrops of what's happening in the world, you know we you know transect in the, the commodity of hope and we're hopeful people and that's probably why you and I work together is because we really do believe that we can make a difference.
3: So what is the biggest thing that inspires your hope
2: today um, I'd say I think the big biggest thing that inspires my hope today is you know young people um, young people who are passionate young people who um, have common sense who are smart uh, who are energetic who uh, have visions of their own about what the world ought to look like that fairly closely aligned to what mine has and continues to look like. And uh, so we, we're, we're aligned. We're, I think, um, people that do believe that we can turn things around in terms of climate, that we can turn things around in terms of social justice, and in terms of how the planet is utilized, how people, you know, see themselves on the land. You know, I'm reminded of the Leopold quote that, so that the most difficult thing for humans to do is live on an acre of land without spoiling it, and you know that's a challenge that uh, that I've taken my entire life is how do we do that? How do we how do we live on land and not spoil it? And how can we how can we you know make wherever Aldo is smile uh, and say yeah we can do that? We can we can live on an acre of land without spoiling it.
3: Um, I think one of the things that drives my hope these days. Is and probably is really relevant to like this conversation about um, mentoring. Is I see increasing connections between uh, folks um, in like a mentoring role and an apprentice role um, or a mentee role. I see more and more, I think, young people getting excited about the conversation um, and seeking knowledge uh, from people who have a lot more experience from them. I think there was maybe like a, a gap in that. I think that's something that existed in the past and conversations across, you know, age groups. And for whatever reason, we kind of lost that for a while now. I think it's coming back full circle and people are reengaging in those types of conversations. So that kind of gets at a little bit what you're talking about, of like seeing young people, um, that, that do align with kind of your philosophy and your approach and what you see happening and the opportunity and the possibility. So yeah, that's one of the things driving me right now.
2: Well one of the things that I appreciate about you and I appreciate about the people that we that we are working with and and both in terms of the ranchers that we work with and in terms of our partner biologists that we that we manage, train and mentor is that um, everybody has the ability and the inclination to roll up their sleeves and work hard because the work that we do is not easy work. You know, the work that we do to change how people think about how they engage the land is not easy work. And, you know, we, you and I have had this conversation ad nauseum about, you know, people are change-averse, that we don't, we don't change rapidly and, and we don't change quickly. And so it's long-term, it's incremental, it's something you have to continue to work on you know, every day and and that's that's hard work and, and you well know, you know, when we're out in the field and when we're training and when we're mentoring, it's like it's the the partner biologists and you know at the end of that day you're gonna be mentally exhausted because, you know, I'll be demanding a lot of you during that period of time. And, you know, I, I don't demand any more of you than I do of myself. And so that's that's kind of a uh, one of those filters that we use for you know people who work with us you know do you have the right stuff you know do you do you have that passion do you have that that ability to work hard do you have that ability to you know to be focused do you have that ability to collaborate with other people and and do this hard work that's going to take to you know to to get this planet you know back on a on a healthy path
3: mm-hmm. yeah I think it's interesting for me to see how those conversations happen out on the landscape and thinking about change and barriers to change and you know whether those are just uh we as humans or other barriers that might exist based on resources but the more conversation that can happen and the more conversation I see the partner biologists engage in with both producers and with you and talking through like how to have those conversations it's the I see like the level of empathy increase the more time that people spend out there. And the more time you spend observing something, the more you get to know it, and the more that you know something, the more you love it. And then that creates this feedback loop of the more you love something, then that inspires you to gain the wisdom to steward it. And then as you steward it, you just know it better. And that just continues the cycle. And I think I see that, like that can happen in terms of land management, and landscape bases but then also like human communities and the more you know the human communities that you're engaging with and so if it's a set of ranchers in a community or others in a community or the conservation community the more time you spend in that conversation then the more you know those folks and the more that you love them and appreciate them and are encouraged by it and engage in a different way um, and i see you contributing to that a lot to that conversation and that understanding Um, a lot
2: well yeah thanks for that but i I think that one of the things that you know we're we're talking about kind of a a central theme is passion and you know passion is you know another way of saying love in, in various degrees and so you know we talk about management you know and but you know you've heard me often you know and and you know passionately say that you know every rancher Cares about their animals, you know. They would give their life for their animals in many cases, you know. So that animal husbandry piece is, is really critical for a good manager, or a farmer. The crop husbandry, really taking care of their crop, and nothing would break their heart more than to see a, you know, a hailstorm come in and damage their crop, or insects come in and damage their crop. You know, they would they would at their core be be hurt by that. And so, if we can then include in that management, in that husbandry, the idea that the land also needs to have that stewardship, that, that, that passion applied to it, that, that husbandry applied to the land, that we care just as much about the soil as the water, as the wildlife, as the, as the air, and everything else that are part of the system as we do about our livestock and as we do about our crops you know, then that then we're really getting to where we need to be you know in the conversation and in real life and and you know that's one thing that young people hopefully you know in their journey through life and in if in agrarian systems that they understand that that that, that passion you know for the land has got to be intended with the passion for the animals and for the crops because it's all it's all related you know it's 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 the it's the quilt if you pull the string it's attached to the entire quilt, and you can't you can't disengage that string unless you break it. And when you break it, bad things happen. So you want to keep that string attached to that that fabric, and make sure that that fabric is all in good shape.
3: Um, one of the ways I see you mentoring uh, me and the partner biologists um, is walking the landscape. And obviously your passion shines through. I think that's one of the cases when I see it shine through the most is when you're out there on the land and talking about these things and talking about your observations and sharing those with them and in an effort to help them start making those observations on their own. And then I think what's really neat about that is through the model that we have with the partner biologists, they're given the capacity to spend a lot of time out on the ranches where they're working and with the ranchers that they're working with, and in conversations with them. And I think this is kind of, again, where um, those, like, you know, ways in which people are approaching those conversations, it trickles down. Um, and because of the time that they get to spend out there, then they end up having those same conversations with the producers um, that they're working with and keying into the observations that they're seeing. and. Yeah, so I just think that's really neat. And I guess, again, it comes back to the passion because they can pull out, like, through those observations, um, they can pull out these, like, key components of a place um, on, on a ranch um, that the rancher themselves is passionate about. And then that just drives the conversation, and I think that's really cool.
2: Yeah, it, it, it has to do with the land health metaphor. You know, it's like we can... We, we can, when we interact with people, we can look at you and we can look at your eyes and we can look at your skin. We can look at your posture. We can look at, you know, your all, overall demeanor and countenance and see, you know, whether you're a healthy person or whether you're a troubled person or whether you're a person who's sick. And, you know, the land is the same way. You know, we, we don't, you know, I, I really was happy to hear yesterday one of the speakers say we need to ask the question more often. What does the land need? What's the land asking you to do? And, and so that's one of the you know, the drivers of walking the land is going to hear what the land wants us, wants us to do, what the land is asking us to do. And, and so then being able to develop the skills to understand land health, you know, is the water cycle functional? Is it dysfunctional? Why or why not? How do we get it healthy again? Is energy flow happening? Do we have a lot of bare soil out there? Are we wasting sunlight? Is photosynthesis not happening? succession? Do we see the kinds and amounts of plants out there that we should see? And if the answer to any of those questions, no, then we've got to help the patient out. We've got to help mother earth, you know, get back to her health again and figure out why, why it got that way and how we can get it turned around. And so that that's, you know, as you know, you've, you've heard me say dozens of times, you know, there are no stories inside four walls. If you really want to see what's going on in the world, you go outside and that's where things happen. And, and and the land is, you know, as as has been said, doesn't lie. You know, you can go out and and the land will tell you whether it's healthy or not. Mm-hmm. And it's and there's so many things to, to, to feed that back to you. Um and that's what you know, that's what you look for. That's what you really want to see when you're out there. And and then giving people those skills to be, you know, what Leopold called the land doctor. So you can walk the land and look at the patient, see how the patient's doing the patient's not doing very well then it's time to say okay well we need some cover crop or we need to change our grazing management or we need to uh, maybe give the repairing area a little bit of rest whatever it is Um, there's there's all kinds of of prescriptions to get the land well we know how to do that
1: her mentor but you don't consider yourself a mentor I would love to
3: hear more about that. I think Wendell probably doesn't realize how much I'm observing him and watching and you know that I, I am paying attention um yeah and so when he you know might not be having a direct conversation with me but I definitely am paying attention to the way that Wendell engages in conversation whether it is in a training like capacity with the partner biologists, whether it's with um you know our other counterparts at Point Blue and different programs, um, whether it's with NRCS staff out on the land and having conversations with them about like programs and the application of conservation programs, or whether it's with producers, um, you know, um, Wendell's engaged in a lot of different conversations and I have been paying attention. and I am picking up stuff I don't always put it into practice right away um, but I am picking up like yes (laughs) I'm working on it
2: (laughs) well your your letter that you sent I was really taken by it and yeah I did read in that letter things that I had no idea you were paying attention to so I
3: wrote Wendell's eulogy about a month ago It wasn't intended as a eulogy. It was a letter of recommendation, but...
2: (laughs) She wrote a letter of recommendation for a particular award um, that I didn't get. That's not her fault. Anyway, she she made it sound like I was, you know, this great person. And uh, my, my wife looked at it and said, "Ah, now I don't have to write your eulogy. We can just use that. He said, well, I'm not quite ready for that yet. <laughs> uh, you know, hopefully there'll be some things to add to it. Well, I hope to be around for another 20 years or so. I'm, you know, So that's... But, you know, it, we were talking and, you know, kind of dividing life into seasons, right? So, you know, if I live to be 100, uh, I would be in late fall in my life, but I probably won't live to be 100. So... Um, say if I live to be ninety, I'm starting the winter of my life. So kind of, it, it, you w- when you get to this particular point in life, you get, you know, introspective and retrospective, you know, because you have this clear understanding that you have many less years in front of you than you've got behind you. So then, life takes on a little bit different meaning when you get to this point in life. And so, who knows? I mean, I just heard from one of my good friends. Josh, NRCS, that the D.C., I won't say his name, but in Northeast Colorado, uh, just lost his 23-year-old daughter yesterday. Mm -hmm. She went in for tonsillitis, and she got some whacked out Mm -hmm. um, bacteria and killed her. So, you know, who knows? These things just, life is serendipity. And so, you uh, you know, uh, you'll find... And I, th- you know, that's one of the conversations we have with partner biologists is that you always have to be open to serendipity. And you know, my personal career started when I was a grad student. My career within NRCS started when I was a grad student. My buddy came up and he goes, uh, "SCS is here, and they're gonna, they're, they've got a co-op program, and they're looking for students to, to, you know, to interview and see if they can hire you." And I said, "Who's SCS and what's a co-op student?" And um, I went and found out it was the Soil Conservation Service, which is a precursor to Natural Resources Conservation Service, and um, I was uh, getting my master's in soils, and so I went in and interviewed and I got selected. That was back in 1977. So the beginning of that day, I had no idea that my career for the next 35 years was going to be with the Natural Resources Conservation Service, SCS. Mm you know, in, in many ways, my relationship with Jeff Geipel, who is both Bri and I's supervisor, uh, my partnership with him and partners in flight 20 years ab- ago in Grand Falls, Montana, we went to a partners in flight meeting and just hit it off. And he always said, you, you know, you're going to come to work for us before your career's over. And, you know, that happened in, in 11 after I retired very briefly from NRCS, my flunked retirement and came to work for, for Point Blue. And so, uh, As young people, don't ever close your opportunities. You know, if somebody says something, instead of saying why, say, why not? Let's give it a shot. Because you never know where things are going to lead. You know, whether it's relationships with people, whether it's it's your job, whether it's an experience that you never had any idea that you were going to be involved with. uh, It's like, yeah, okay, why not? Let's give it a shot. So. That's, that's something that uh, has been served me at, at really well. And I had, in, in the NRCS, I worked in all but four states, and so I've had great opportunities, including some great stories in Alaska and the Pacific Basin, Hawaii, and so on. Uh, my career with NRCS has been, uh, was phenomenal. My career now with Point Blue has been more than I ever thought it would be. Uh, so, um, yeah, just be open.
3: Jeff and Wendell are a story of opposites attract. Uh, we sometimes refer to them as Woodrow and Gus.
2: <laughs> so, I, for young people who don't know what that refers to,
3: well, then watch Lonesome Dub. Jeez Louise, you should know. Um, so, but I think in terms of like thinking about mentorship, uh, that's a really cool component of working at Point Blue and being part of the team here is having both. Jeff and Wendell as mentors because um, they uh, they approach things in very different ways and so they both um, contribute to this program and the management of the program um, the training with partner biologists and this the mentorship of all of us involved in very different ways and offer us such different things um, which is really neat so that would be one of the things I would recommend to people is that you know in in kind of seeking um, mentors. Um, I think it's great to have a key mentor that is somebody that you can really be close to and really engage in like deep dive conversations with, but also thinking about, um, having a variety of mentors in your life is, is really important.
2: Um, yeah, I really, I really support that idea, you know, cause as a, as a young professional, you know, getting my master's degrees and starting to work with uh, the SCS back in the day, um, the first thing I did was seek out mentors, you know, because I had, I guess, the the self-awareness to understand that I didn't know very much, and even though I came from a, a farming background, my family's farm had been in our family since 1851, you know, so farmers and ranchers are my people, but nonetheless, um, I felt like I really didn't know very much and uh, kind of disabused myself of the idea that there's a learning curve and no such thing as a learning curve. It's a trajectory and it just gets steeper as you get older, you know, as you have the awareness to understand what you don't know, that trajectory just keeps getting steeper and steeper all the time. And so finding those people who've been out there and who've, Done things and failed at things and succeeded at things uh, and acquired some wisdom along the way. Uh, those are people that you really want for mentors. So, you know, the old unit biologist Bill Thornton was a, a Native American that I glommed onto and would spend as much time in the field as Bill would would allow me to come along. And um, Dave Patterson, who was our area biologist for NRCS, and um, there were Monty Bell was our extension, wild, uh, extension range and and um, uh, livestock person, and I would go out and just hang on with those people as much as I could, especially anytime they were going out in the field with producers and in doing what Bree's talking about, just keeping my mouth shut and doing a lot of observing and just paying attention to how they operated, how they did things, at then when it was just me and that person opening my mouth and just bombarding them with questions, 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 questions that arise from, you know, watching them do what they do or seeing things on the land that I had questions about. And, you know, mentors with forest service mentors that were ranchers, you know, so, you know, Jack Somerville at 4J Ranch, I would go out and spend weekends and after work and as much time as I could with Jack and Jeff as I could, uh, because, they'd been out the land they were ranchers they knew what they were doing so um you know just having the awareness to understand what you don't know is a big part of seeking out the mentors that are going to guide you through life and uh i still have mentors i still have uh you know people that i go to that i that i really think that their their wisdom is something that that i can utilize and can help guide me you know, even though um, you know I'm in the latter stages of my life, so yeah, mentorship is <laughs> mentorship is just you know one of those things that's kind of underrated but essential for a resource professional, a young agrarian. You know, even though you know the 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 farmer or the rancher may be doing something conventional that, and you want to see yourself as regenerative. You'll learn something from them. You'll learn about how they use their equipment, how they how they round up their livestock, how they mend fences. You're going to learn something from everybody out there if you're open to it. So, um, you know, don't shut yourself off from your neighbor who is a conventional farmer because he's not farming the way you want f- want to farm. Go learn from him anyway. Learn why he's doing that. Learn why she's ranching the way she is and not the way you would like her to ranch. You're going to learn something from her.
3: One of uh, my funny uh, memories of an incident with Wendell was (laughs) we were doing interviews uh, for a a partner biologist position and there was one young man who um, he interviewed really really well, had um, was fun to interview but there was also a little bit of concern on our part that he was maybe a, a little bit too confident with himself and uh or talking about it with Wendell afterwards and <laughs> having the conversation. And Wendell was pretty put off by it and just said, you know, <laughs> I can't, he needs to be taken down a notch or two. And he was kind of grumbling about it. And uh, it was really funny because it was kind of, uh, I asked Wendell a little bit, oh, does it like kind of take one to know one? And, uh, and so Wendell admitted. He said, yes, actually, he reminds me of myself a little bit. Uh, back when I was maybe in high school or a young man and uh, it was funny because then the conversation kind of was like well, well Wendell I think this kid actually needs you like he needs to have a conversation and Wendell did he followed up with him and had a great conversation he said and uh, I hope it was meaningful to that kid and I'm sure it was but yeah I thought that was pretty funny <laughs> <laughs> One of the things one of our partner biologists who has been really successful um, in her position um, in terms of broader community engagement and bringing people in the community together um, around conservation and ranching, she has kind of said that one of the reasons she feels like she's been able to kind of have the success that she has is more opportunistic given that it's a small rural community. And she said, people here just They have to get along because it is so small, so you don't have a lot of options like you might have to make friends and, um, you know, kind of engage with people. So you might not see eye to eye, but you got to get along at the end of the day because these are your neighbors and they're the the people who your kids are going to be going to school with and, um, that you're going to be seeing around town. And,
2: well, one of the the things that, that has helped me, um, is, you know, when we, we had the PwC group, and you know, kind of one one of the things that they're they're a consulting group. How do you how do you align better? How you how do you become a better team? You know, instead of you know a team of leaders, uh, uh, a team of leadership instead of being separate leaders that you're all you're all part of that leadership and that you all align and work together. And one of the things that I try to attention to and I think about every day is something they call plus two listening so you know negative listening is like okay I can't wait for this person to shut up so I can I can tell them what I'm what I'm thinking about whatever the topic is and you know zero listening is like okay I'm I'm being respectful I'm listening to you you're listening to me we're having a conversation but plus one plus two listening is I'm listening so I could with the potential of changing my mind. I want to be able to hear you and understand what you're saying. And I'm open, even though I don't right now align with you, I'm open to hearing what you have to say and changing the way I view the world and aligning with you. So that's a, that's a, that's a huge, that's been a huge thing for me to try to, try to l- use the plus two listening and, and be in the moment, listening to the person, not forming what I'm going to say next and losing the conversation, but listening to say, okay, yeah, maybe I didn't, okay, maybe I didn't see the mentoring at first, but yeah, now, oh, yeah, I see it now. Mm -hmm. So those are, you know, those are just kind of life skills continue to present themselves, and, you know, whether you take advantage of it and integrate it into, you know, your core, you know, that's a decision everybody makes personally. So it's, it's, it's part, of the, part of that mentoring process is to, you know, we are talking about young people, and yesterday there was a, a young person I heard that was kind of getting down on the conventional ag people. And I said, you know, um, everybody has, you know, we, we, don't, they're, they're, we don't know what we don't know. And if, you know, most people don't wake up in the morning walk into the bathroom, look in the mirror and say, you know, I want to screw things up. You know, they do what they do with the best information they have. Maybe you have different information. And if you gave that to me, then I could listen to it and maybe sort of change my pH or of course correct a little bit. But if, unless I have that opportunity, if you've made a decision that I'm an idiot and don't know what I'm doing and you don't share that with me, we don't have that conversation. Then my pH is never going to change. So, you know, those are, so I had that, Opportunity to have that conversation with that person and say, Well, how, how, why are you dismissing this person right away because they don't think the same way you do? What a great opportunity for conversation! What a great opportunity to for you to learn something and maybe for that person to learn something.
3: Yeah, Wendell's going to recommend Sand County Almanac. Always, <laughs> he reads it every year on his birthday. Um, which has inspired me to reread it, which is awesome, because you do pick up new things every time.
2: Every time. Aldo Leopold wrote A Sand County Almanac, and some people don't know, but there is no such thing as a sand county. There are a number of counties. He lived in Sauk County in Wisconsin, and so there's a series of five or six counties up there that are known as the sand counties because their soils are primarily sandy and they're highly erosive. And he bought an old farm that was run down and beat up and he brought it back to productivity. And he, among other things, that's what he writes about in in the essays in the Sand County Almanac. Lots of wisdom that's infused in that, in those writings.
3: My recommendation would be uh, A Shepherd's Life by James Rebank Rebanks um he uh is a shepherd in the Lake District it's a great story of his life growing up on that landscape and in that community and what it means to him and to the people in that community and also how he makes an effort to connect um with urban communities in kind of sharing that experience and and what it means and and what it means to be connected to the land um and he just shares it in a super kind of inspiring and colorful and descriptive way Um, that's really awesome
1: thanks for joining us for a second episode of the regeneration rising podcast music by kev Rowe. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five star rating wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is produced by Ariel Bobbitt and Shauna Burhans and co sponsored by Pasture Map, the Kavira Coalition, and the GrassFit Exchange. Our next episode will be a little bit different. We'll have Christine Sue, Nicole Masters, and Betsy Ross for an intergenerational conversation about the connections between soil health and community health. If you are at the Kavira Coalition's Regenerate Conference in early November, you caught their conversation as the keynote panel "Sisters of the Soil." Christine Sue is the co-founder and CEO of PastureMap, one of our podcast's co-sponsors. PastureMap is grazing and livestock management software helping producers improve profits on healthy grasslands. Christine will be joined in conversation with Nicole Masters, an agroecologist, systems thinker, and educator on all things soil health. It was a real treat to listen in on their conversation with Betsy Ross who's the co-owner and founder of Betsy Ross Grass-Fed Beef, located outside of Granger, Texas. If you caught the first trailer for the podcast, it was an excerpt of Betsy Ross laying down some wisdom during her conversation with Christine and Nicole. We can't wait to share this special episode with you. Stay tuned for the release in late February. And in the meantime, please leave us a five-star rating if you like what you're hearing. See you next time!